You're listening to Managing Leadership Anxiety, Yours and Theirs, a show that discusses internal and relational anxiety, how it blocks effective leadership, and how we can move through it to a greater health. And now your host, Steve Cuss. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to our new subscribers. If you want to dive deeper into this topic of leadership anxiety, family systems theory, and some tools to overcome it, you can head over to my website, stevecusswords.com, where I have all kinds of tools, also some free downloadable templates that you might find helpful. You can jump over there, stevecusswords.com, to take a look at that. But I'm excited to introduce our guest today, which is Max Licato. Now, I don't really know that Max needs any introduction. He is very well known for his multiple books for adults and for kids. His latest book is called Anxious for Nothing. It's an excellent read, and I'd recommend it to anybody. Uh, Max and I did cover a bit of his book, Anxious for Nothing, but we really dug into leadership anxiety. Max has also been a faithful leader for several decades in the local church and on the mission field. So I began by asking Max about his leadership journey and his journey with anxiety. I can I can recall my first ministry uh, post was in Brazil, in South America. And surprisingly, though, I, I struggled a lot to learn the language and, and develop uh, as a missionary. I don't remember being very anxious. Uh, when I came back to the U.S. and assumed a role of a senior pastor, I don't remember the first few years being very anxious. I began to deal with anxiety when um, I found myself um, stepping out of my giftedness and trying to do things for which I'm really not equipped. Um, Managing a large team, uh, trying to raise money to build a church building, uh, trying to manage a budget, uh, dealing with personnel issues on a staff. And, and, And I guess all of those somehow would fit under my umbrella but, but about 10 years into my ministry, when the church was a certain size and we needed to, to build a new building, we needed to manage it, I, I just, I had some meltdowns. I mean, serious meltdowns, see, where, uh, where I could not sleep. Uh, and I still struggle sometimes with sleep. Uh, and, and so that's really not a direct answer to your question. because But what I'm trying to say is that during certain seasons, which I get out of my lane, which I'm trying to do things for which I'm not equipped, anxiety happens. When I stay focused on the one or two things that I can do or seem to be do do well, anxiety doesn't knock at my door quite as often. Does that make any sense? Interesting. Absolutely, it does. And my experience is that um, particularly leaders of faith, Christian leaders, who are in some kind of a caring position, so not just pastors, but social workers or Sometimes we're the last person to know we're not okay. When you were experiencing those more meltdown era, um, did you need help knowing that you needed help or were you pretty in touch aware that you needed help? Boy, you ask good questions. (laughs) You really do. Um, Okay. Um, I don't know how honest you allow me to be on this broadcast. No, I'm, I'm a West Australian from convict stock. I like yeah, brutal honesty, yeah, but it's, yeah. your, okay. it's your story. Okay, I yeah. mentioned just a few moments ago that I'm working on a book deadline right now. Okay, in my yeah. process of writing a book, I go through several back and forths 
with my editors. And um, uh, <laughs> this last one, uh, it was a bit brutal, a bit brutal. And uh, I thought the book was in better shape, uh, but I was a minority vote in feeling, okay? Oh. And so just oh, when I think yeah. I've got this one, I'm rounding rounding third base, just when I think I've got this baby put to bed here, I get kind of felt bruised a bit. Well, I don't like to say this, but I spiraled. And this is just seven or eight mm -hmm. days ago. Yeah. I was at the, I was in Nashville. I was at the publisher's uh, office. I, I was spending two days in Nashville meeting with the publisher about a lot of things, including this book. And I just got in a, in a, in a, funk. I, I couldn't get myself happy. I couldn't get myself energetic. I just felt like I was knee deep in mud and I couldn't get a good, I couldn't get momentum going. And so I, I knew, I knew what was going on. I knew what was going on. I think, I think, um, I think some of it is spiritual immaturity. I think some of it is the devil. I just think the devil, when my wife always says the devil attacks us at our destiny. And, and I can expect when I'm working on a book, I'm going to get beat up a time or two. Well, uh, and so I, what I did this time, and I know it surprised our team. We have a team of about 10 or 12 people, uh, some of whom are mutual friends of yours and mine. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, I just told them. I said, I'm, I'm a mess. Here we're needing to have a creative meeting. We've got 12 people in the room. They're all buzzed and energetic and going forth. And there I'm kind of pulling up like a caboose instead of leading the charge and getting people enthusiastic. I just had to say, time out. You just need to know I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not much today. I'm really wrestling. I don't feel very confident. Uh, insecurity pitched its tent on my porch and I won't leave. I don't feel like I'm, and I just kind of, disgorged all of those feelings uh they were surprised but you know what yeah we're all in this together and nobody's strong all the time nobody is yeah and i think we leaders if we try to pretend that we've got it together all the time then we're we're really going to get out of control and so I, I think something like that is is that that kind of honesty is good for us on occasion I think, Max, you actually just gave our listeners an incredible gift because, you know, pe people would know you, you even re referenced it as such a veteran author. And so to hear a veteran author with so much experience still have the vulnerability and the humility to come to his team and say, I'm mm. not well, you know, to really put yourself out there. Because I think most leaders really do believe the lie that one day we're going to grow out of. <laughs> Whatever this you know, insecurity, or yeah, <laughs> I think you're right. But yeah, but for you to be able to say to your team, "I'm not well," yeah. and and they then take good yeah. care of you because I, and I, they did, wonderful. they did. We were stuck on that book. We couldn't come up with a title. I couldn't come up with a title. I couldn't identify what the central theme of the book is. I had maybe three or four ideas, but I was having a hard time getting them to all obey and line up. You know. And, and we, uh, we prayed, we had a good prayer time. We, we tried just to be quiet for a bit and wait on the Lord. And, uh, I felt like the hour was really redeemed. It, it, it was good. Now, now I don't, haven't always done that. Uh, and especially 
you, you know, for 20 years, I was a senior pastor. Uh, one of uh, one of the guys on our staff is currently on your staff, and, uh, Randy Larson. So for 20 years, right. I was a senior pastor. And then I came back in after a 10-year break and served as a, a senior pastor at our church for about two more years. And during that time in between, I was still on the staff. I was just a teaching pastor. So I've, I've, I've kind of had the leadership stint uh, for, for a period of decades. And, and yeah. during that time, I've not been good at doing what I just told you. During that time when I would get stressed out, I would think, okay, I've got to, I've got to, you know, put it on. I've got to, I've got to keep that smile on. I've got to keep the energy level high. And, uh, we, we, we need to give our staff the, the honesty. Uh, most of the people on our staff know ministry's hard work. They all get that. Right. And so give them credit. It, it's okay to, to, to say, I'm stuck. I'm not moving. I need some help. Can we pray about this? I don't think we need to whimper and whine all the time, but it's right. certainly permissible right. to, to turn to our team and say, I'm really feeling the burden here. What, what am I missing? Help me out. I like it. I, as, I, as I hear what you're saying, what I'm hearing from you, and I'd love to hear if this resonates with you, I think you're stewarding your vulnerability for the sake of your team. You're not uh, depending on them to, for, for you to bleed out, but you are letting them know that you mm-hmm. do bleed. Um, I think that's a gift. I think that's an incredible gift to offer people. Well, I do. I, I, I agree. I agree. And uh, especially for the long haul, you know, for the long haul, if, if you want to be like, like in the ministry where you are having served there for what, 14 years, um, you, yeah. you, you, at some point you, you cannot keep up a facade that long and survive. Yeah. You have to be, you have to be honest. Well, and you know, I, you've, you've already let out on this, but I'm always surprised at how frequently I have to share my vulnerability because people bank it and spend it and then start believing that I do have it together. Like, it's interesting. If I'll share where I'm struggling, they'll come up and say, oh, so that really helped that you said that. But then very quickly, they've decided I'm somehow got it all together again. Whereas I think what you described with the book writing process, that's more the case. It's more that every day it can be a battle and some days you win and some days you don't, but you keep getting up. And You know, it is, a, it is a heavy duty load to think I've got to convince everybody that I've got it all together. It really is. It really is. Um, you know, um, um, as, as I disclose to people the struggles that I have, uh, I find that uh, I inadvertently uh, end up having more credibility. <laughs> it, it's an odd thing. Yeah. Can, can I give you an example? Yeah. Um, in, yeah. Excuse me f- for talking about the, yet an, this unpublished book, but it's just on my mind a lot. And yeah. uh, in it, I, I, I tell us, uh, I wrote a chapter about the Apostle Peter being restored by Jesus on the shore of the Sea of Galilee after the resurrection. Uh, I think that's a restoration movement. He was kind of restoring uh, Peter yeah. to service, you know, because Peter had denied Christ. And, and so Jesus cooked breakfast for him and they had a meeting and it was a time of restoration. And so uh, my editor said, can you think of a time of restoration in your life? 
And I said, I can. I don't know if you want me to share it. And I shared it with her. And she said, boy, you should. Here's what happened. Uh, back when uh, flip phones went to smartphones, I've never been technologically savvy, Steve. Okay. But when flip phones went to smartphones, uh, I did something really stupid. Uh, every every uh, bit of technology I have is layered with filters. I am intimidated by the thought that I could be one click away from seeing a woman that I should not see. And so I've I drive our tech team crazy. I say, every time there's a new filter, a better filter, you put it on there, please. I don't want to be, I don't want to, you know. So, um, so back when flip phones became smartphones, I was given a smartphone to use here at the church. Um, I, I thought I was sitting in my office and, and I thought to myself, wow, I can do email. I can get online. I can do any. And then that thought came in my mind, Steve. I thought, I better get a filter on this thing. But before I did, I checked to see if it would access what I should not access. And it did. And a picture appeared on that telephone that I have no business depositing in my memory bank. And I didn't look long, but any, any amount of time is long enough. I closed it. And I threw it in my drawer and I said, Lakato, what did you just do? So I took the phone. I walked down the hall and I was going to give it to the tech guy. And I say, please put a filter on. Well, he'd already gone home for the day. So I stuck it in my pocket and I went home. And, uh, you know, I, I was genuinely sorry I did. it, But I went home and I threw the phone and my keys and my wallet on the uh, place where I do it every day. And my wife was in there preparing dinner. She said, oh, a, a new smartphone. And she picked it up, opened up, and guess what was still there? Sure. Yeah. I hope I'm not being too vulnerable here. Um, I melted. I melted. She melted. She was horrified. She said, how could you? I tried to explain it to her, but it, 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 just, it just wasn't anything. And so um, that, that, that was a rough night. That was a rough night. I didn't sleep much. She didn't sleep much. We tried to talk. We couldn't talk. Uh, the next morning, I get up. Uh, it's still dark. I wake up early. I walk into the restroom and I realize my wife has already been up. The reason I know, because on my mirror, written with lipstick, is this huge Valentine heart that she wrote, I still love you, I forgive you. To me, that's a moment of restoration. She, she publicly restored me, she restored me. I needed to hear that. I believe that all of us in ministry need to hear that on occasion. Now, I, I told you that story because I was talking about the power of just being honest. And as I've shared yeah. that story, I've found that it, I didn't, I didn't intend, uh, I didn't intend for it to do anything to make a point, but, but people hear it and they say, you mean you have those kind of issues? And my thought is, of course I have those kind of issues. What do you think? Yeah. But your point was yeah. good. And that is that people perceive leadership personnel as something just a little bit special. And we have to come off that pedestal. 
Hey, Brennan Reed here, uh, producer of this podcast. Hey, if you know of a college-age student or 20-something who really wants to explore what ministry is like, they should consider spending a year with us at Discovery Christian Church out here um, in the Front Range of Colorado. My experience with this residency was I wasn't just getting coffee. I actually got to be a part of the church staff, and that meant that I had a voice in meetings. Um, I even got the opportunity to build a ministry from the ground up that Discovery did not have during my residency. And out here, we really uh, try to reach intellectual skeptics as well as followers of Jesus, and we're very passionate about engaging the chronic needs of our city and the world around us. Residents spend a year with us, and they take a class that dives into the material of this podcast. They also take on leadership responsibility, and you come away with a tangible ministry experience to set yourself up for a career in vocational ministry. Uh, So as a resident, you get to choose a specialty. We have youth, children's, worship arts, communications, preaching and adult discipleship. We also have local and global outreach and executive pastor work. We do provide housing with a family and we offer a small stipend. To apply, click the link in the show notes or you can visit dc2.me, click the about tab and choose our residency. You you wrote in Anxious for Nothing. I I, I made some notes here, Max. because I was really intrigued that you identified some sources of anxiety and then you also gave us some tools, even though you didn't frame it that way. I I, I had one of the sources of control. You said, uh, that's why the most stressed out people are control freaks. (laughs) I'm I'm gonna leave that because I think we've covered that. I think you've actually inadvertently shared a lot about that topic, but the other one I was interested in is another source that you identified as information. Uh, you, you said, in our parents' day, the nightly news communicated the catastrophe. Now it's a matter of minutes. We've barely processed one crisis, and then we hear of another. Yeah. And you mentioned that smartphone. Um, I had a previous guest named Shane Wood. He's a New Testament theologian at Ozark Christian College. Okay. He mentioned that the smartphone is the modern Tower of Babel. It's God in a pocket. Wow. And that we can be like God because we get information anytime. We, we know everything. Yeah. And that's what it reminded me of when I read your quote. That's it reminded me of that that idea that um, what Shane said to us was, "Anytime humans try to be like God, we get anxious." Mm. What's your reaction on on information overload and and the anxiety our culture is carrying nowadays? I think that's a great observation he made. I've never thought of it like that. I hadn't either. But I do wonder how much information our brains can process. Uh, and uh, and how it is that that we can do better about turning it off. Yeah. Um, uh, the, this this sense of feeling like I need to know, fear of missing out, uh, 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 of 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 uh, of being anxious about silent silence, needing to always be stimulated. Uh, I, I'm, I talk some in the book about the amygdalae, that little almond-shaped feature in our brain that sits and is sits there for the purpose of of activating the necessary response to fear to, to fight or flight, you know, and it's there for a purpose. Uh, it's not intended to be activated all the time. Yeah. And so if I never, if I'm always exposing myself to the most recent news about the most recent catastrophe in the world, it's, it can activate that amygdala more than it should. 
in create within me a a a, a spirit or, or sense of of anxiety. I think that's what happened to me, and I continue to battle it uh, in terms of insomnia. Insomnia. Uh, about ten years into the ministry. Uh, I got overloaded on responsibilities, and I found I could not turn my brain off at night. I could not. And finally, I had to go to our family physician, and he put me on some sedatives for a time just to help me get balanced or get get rebalanced. And and I, I can tell when I've got too much going on in my head, I just can't seem to shut it off. Uh, and, and so, Steve, I, I think building in times of silence, building in times of rest, building in times of intentional gratitude. Uh, just last night, I was having trouble going to sleep. And so I got on my knees by my bed and I, and I thought, Lord, I just want to tell you how many great things you've done for me. And I, and I spent a good few minutes there just being grateful. It was a little brief season of worship. I wasn't much to look at, you know, there in my pajamas on the side of the bed. <laughs> but it was very special, and it relaxed me. It relaxed me. I think that's why Paul in this passage says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by petition, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. He puts that little with thanksgiving in there because gratitude calms me down and helps me remember all the good things God has done. I'm learning a lesson in my own life, Max, that um, I'm finding that anxiety tends to have a historical nature, Mm. that if if I went through a tough season of church leadership and I'm entering a a similar season now, it's almost like all that old anxiety threatens to come back. Wow. And I was really struck when you mentioned that you led for 10 years and then you had a season where you were on staff, but you weren't carrying that leadership weight, but then you stepped back in for two years. What was that like for you to have to step back on what might yeah. feel like a treadmill yeah. or the pressure? Yeah, yeah. And, and to be accurate, I actually led for 20 years, and then I was senior, I was teaching pastor for 10, and then ah. stepped back in for two. Just to, Got it. Just now I'm semi-retired, and I'm loving that, by the way. There's the answer <laughs> to anxiety. <laughs> no, you know um, – um, it, it, we get these wounds in us. We, we get these wounds. And um, anybody who's done uh, preaching, for example, uh, will know exactly what it's like to stand uh, after a sermon in the foyer and somewhere in the building and shake people's hands. And every one of us can relate to the fact that you can get uh, 10 people and nine compliments, and you get one word of criticism, and what do you think about for the rest of the day? That one word of criticism. And and it'll get does it can you relate, Steve? Oh my you goodness. Probably yeah. never so, had a word of criticism. Never once, Max. My preaching is flawless. <laughs> People all I ever hear is um, what is this new teaching? <laughs> No, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I've learned that I'm, I'm like a golden retriever. Every, every time I preach, I need a pat on the head. Yeah. Uh, I've had to learn the hard way. I always need it from my wife. Yeah. And what's interesting is she should have the right to not like my sermon, just like everybody else. Yeah. But I'll, I'll come home from church, and if I need a pat on the head, I, I'm too um, embarrassed, I think, to be that needy. So I'll tiptoe around. I'll just say, um, yeah, well, 
how was church today? And uh, if she doesn't then give me a compliment, I'll, my next move will be like, well, how, how was worship? But I'm kind of <laughs> easing my way to the message. Oh, it's terrible. And it's a terrible pressure to put on people. That, but it is, you're right. It, you know, it is a vulnerable experience to get up and share your heart and, and to try to share what you think is God's heart. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear everything. I, you have I to remember say about there was a gentleman um, who, early in my ministry, the first two or three years in my ministry, I thought he was the greatest preacher. He, he, he's, still, he's still one of the greatest speakers I've ever heard, a man by the name of Landon Saunders. He kind of went a different direction in his ministry and got into more corporate corporate teaching and, and coaching. It's, did a great work, but early in his life, he he was a uh, he, he preached, and I think he's one of the finest teachers ever. Well, one time he invited me to go with him uh, to conduct a conference, and uh, I was just I was a kind of a you know, shield bearer for him. I mean, I just helped him out and, and I loved it. I loved it and was so honored. I was maybe 27 or 28 years old. He was at the time 35 or 36. He gave just a compelling message one night at a church. I mean, a beautiful message. And uh, when he was done, I was sitting on the front row. He came and he sat down next to me and I turned to him and I said, that was wonderful. And he turned to me and he said, really? I mean, he really wondered. And at the time I thought, surely he knows how wonderful that was. What I have learned in my now 40 years is that the most vulnerable moment is when I sit down right after I preach. And sometimes, especially if I, if I set myself on fire, like John Wesley told us to do, I set myself on fire and I kind of get away from my notes and I get passionate and I feel really led. And then I sit down and I say, what did I just do? What, what just happened? <laughs> what <Yeah>. just happened? <laughs> it's a vulnerable thing. It really yeah. is. <laughs> and how about the leadership pressure then? You stepped back in for that two years. Ten years out of that is a long time. Yeah. Were you dreading stepping back in? Well, I, yeah, I didn't really we didn't really want to, but I I felt like I felt like of all the people on the staff, I could step back in, especially until we found the 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 the, the figured out our next step and found the next senior leader. And so I, 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 uh, I did so really out of, I, I, it's a wonderful thing to love a church. It really is. And, you know, we came to this church when I was uh, 33 years old. My wife was 31. I'm 60, almost 65 now. We've been here all these years. We've raised our kids here. Uh, my daughter now is helping with some of our preaching. Uh, we've, we've seen the church through, and we've, we've weathered some wonderful times. We've enjoyed some wonderful times. We've weathered some tough storms. And so at that point, I say all that to say, I just, I just wanted to make one more contribution to the church. And so uh, I stepped back in. I still do not see... Uh, managing a church staff is really in my sweet spot. Uh, I love writing sermons. And and most of the time, I love writing books. <laughs> I do have my moments. Uh, and I love, I love writing children's books. I love speaking at other churches. Uh, I don't love the getting there and getting home, the, all the travel and the hotels and all that. But I love seeing other churches and speaking. And so there's a lot of ministry that I thoroughly enjoy and that I'll do till the day I die. 
But leading a church staff doesn't quite line up. I find myself scratching my head a lot saying, now, what should I be doing? How can I solve this? So I was happy to do it short term. Uh, but I, I, I could sense that old anxiety stirring within me quite a bit. And so uh, I'm very grateful that God does gift leaders like yourself with the ability to do that. It's a challenge. Yeah, I, I listened to what you had to say. I, I, I don't know that I, I – our church has experienced rapid growth in the last five years, and I think we are beyond my scope of managing staff and – but what what I'm really feeling right now is um, just an overwhelming feeling of um, sentiment, Max. Because um, you mentioned the children's books, and what just flooded my mind as I heard you say that we raised our children on your children's books, ah. and um, that the book you wrote about um, stickers, oh and yeah, people putting, yeah. oh my goodness, you are special, you are special, you are special. Yeah. What a what a powerful work, and and how many of us parents. Uh, needed that message as we are telling our kids, you know, that, that was an incredible, incredible work. Well, thank you. Thank you. Oh my goodness. I love writing children's books. I wrote one the other day that's called, where'd my giggle go? Where'd my giggle go? And the first mm -hmm. line is, I woke up this morning with a frown on my face. I looked for my smile, looked all over the place. I, I looked high. I looked low. I looked out in the snow. Can somebody tell me? Where'd my giggle go? <laughs> <laughs> I think books like uh, that are so fun to write. I do. Well, and yeah. I, I think uh, I think someone who knows how to communicate the gospel to children knows mm. the gospel. Oh, you know that's. Oh. I think that's the gift of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm uh, I'm way off track here at this oh, point. That's all I'm all right. clamped. I think it's probably time, Max, with your permission, to let me inflict upon you my gauntlet of questions of anxiety that I ask every guest. <laughs> I'm worried. Help. <laughs> I know. You should be terrified. As, as, you know, as threatened as you felt so far, it's only worse from here. Um, all right. So I ask six questions of every guest, and it's such a help to our listeners. So let's try them, and, and you can pass or play. The first one is, um, I believe anxiety always starts in the body. You have already alluded to this, but it usually starts in a spinning mind, a racing heart, or a tightening gut. Mm. Where does it first start for you? Yeah, what an insightful question, uh, because uh, it, it really does play havoc with our physical selves. For me, it's the gut. For gut. me, it's the gut. I thought you were going to say mine, because you talked about always being up at night. Tell yeah. me more about the gut. It, it, but usually it's the gut. I feel it. I, I, I feel. I feel my tummy tighten up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And do you know? In so so, there's different kinds of people. Um, some people don't know they're anxious until they're really, really anxious. They're way down. Mm -hmm. Do you tend to now know pretty early on when your gut's starting to tighten? I I I, I don't think. Uh, only in the last maybe ten years have I learned to recognize that 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 signal. Yeah. You know. Um, there are a certain, uh, I don't know, like, let's say I'm dreading a conversation, you know, a hard conversation with someone. Um, 
I will about an hour before that uh, begin. My stomach will begin. I, I better it. not eat anything. Yeah, uh, yeah. I can. I can tell. Okay, can tell. Yeah. that's good. In uh, the second question is so. so by the way, you're doing fantastic. We're already one question in. Uh, <laughs> the The second question is, in, in family systems theory, what I think the magic of it is, is it teaches acute anxiety, which is you're driving along, you're about to get in a car crash, you have a physiological reaction. But it shows how chronic anxiety acts just the same way. Chronic anxiety is a perceived threat. It's not a real threat. So when you just mentioned, for example, that you know you're about to have a difficult conversation, that in family systems theory would be called chronic anxiety because it's not an actual threat to your life, but your body doesn't know the difference. So with that very long construct, the question is, what is something that you think you need in the moment that you don't actually need? What is something you think you need in the moment that you don't actually need? In, in my life, for example, Max, I always need to be liked mm. and I always need to be impressive. Mm. Um, and it's not true. I don't actually need those things. Jesus actually died to free me from needing those. But in the moment, if I don't get them, I get anxious. Mm. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind for you that you'd be willing to share? Yeah. What, what you, what you said, I could, I could really, is something, uh, to which I can really relate. Um, Sorry about my clock there in the background. No problem. <laughs> what you said is is something to which I can really relate. I uh, the approval of people, the approval of people. Uh, I have a I have a fear of uh, of failure, not so much in personal failure, but in letting a team down, in letting a team down. Um, I. Um, I, I fear that, uh, uh, and I've been blessed to really either be invited to be a part of or to build some wonderful teams here at our church, uh, and then at times uh, in publishing or always in publishing. And I just the, the the idea of not carrying my weight, of not delivering, and 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 I and what's difficult, uh, Steve, is that as communicators, especially. Uh, so much, uh, so much depends upon a good message. If you, especially if you're writing and the publisher, you know, you've promised them a good book. Uh, so I've done a few things through the years, uh, trying to help alleviate that anxiety. Uh, I prepare my sermons way in advance, um, months in advance. Randy has told me that he, when he was leading worship for you, he would get manuscripts from you months in advance. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah. They, and, and I know it, it, to me, it's a defense mechanism. Uh, people have said, oh, you're so responsible. I'll <laughs> say, no, I'm such a coward. <laughs> because then, because it, it does not, I do not do well uh, preparing a Saturday night sermon. It, it will, it will, it will not be any good. But if I can let it percolate, and say, what's a good word? Simmer, you know, just live with it. Then, then I, uh, I can handle that. Uh, also, I don't I don't sign multi book contracts anymore for books. I don't I don't like the weight of saying, okay, yeah, I'll I'll write five books over the next ten years, and I did that once, and it just weighed me down. It just weighed me down. So I said, no, that's a little presumptuous on my part. So I'll come up with an idea for a book. I'll sketch it out. I'll present it to the editorial team. They'll give me feedback. I'll go in and I'll try to even draft 
a pretty good idea of the first manuscript. And then if they still want it, then I'll say yes, because my fear is I'm going to let the team down. And so that that helps me uh, cope with that fear. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I, I think that's a really helpful answer because of how specific it was. And, yeah, and yeah. typically in, in this line of questioning, the more specific people understand it, the more they can overcome it. That's I think that's helpful. We, we, we've got to create our own defense mechanisms. We mm. do. All right. Question number three. Uh, you have already covered this, so you are welcome to add to it or pass. Okay. Uh, tell me about a recent mistake you've made and how you recovered from it. Yeah. Hmm. I'll pass. Okay. I'll pass. That's great. Pass. Well, yeah. because I, th- I think your example of yeah. coming to the publishing team, uh, yeah. I was, I was yeah. wrestling on whether to ask you, but I promised you six uh, questions. I want to be a man yeah. of my word. That, that's the one that, that's most recent. Yeah. And we did talk about it quite a bit. I think, I think you covered it. All right. Uh, the other thing I like about family systems theory is that how it teaches us to be aware of how anxiety is contagious in a group. Mm. The theory is that people catch anxiety the way you catch a cold. It's always yeah. contagious. Yeah. And not only that, but if left unaddressed, the most anxious person in the room is often the most powerful in that wow. moment. Can you think of a time where you have seen anxiety be contagious in a group? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And that is such a great point. That is such a great point. Um, my wife is big into something called the Enneagram. Yeah. Are you? Do you work yep. with you? I yep. don't know it well. Okay. So I'm not going to try to remember which number is the glass is half full personality. Yeah. I, I really can't recall. So I won't even guess. Some One of your listeners is going, oh, I know exactly That's why. That's right. Yeah. And they're annoyed at both of us right now. That's it's, right. <laughs> it's probably a number three or a number seven would be my guess. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when she described that person to me, uh, not to sound overly spiritual, okay, my first thought was that's Thomas in the Bible. That's Thomas. The guy who said, I'm not, he has 10 people telling him, we saw Jesus raised from the dead. And for, for the whole week, he doesn't want to believe until he himself can uh, see it. Max, then, let me jump in. Uh, okay. You just described somebody who where the glass is half full. I wonder if you meant to say the glass is half, half empty. empty. I'm half empty. empty. I'm sorry. I yeah. apologize. That would probably be, well, that could be a one or a, or a five or a six, I would okay. think. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for correcting No problem. Yes. That just, I wanted to clarify, but please continue. Because there have been, we have had a, a Thomas or two on our team. <laughs> yes. Okay. Sure. And they're the guys that are they've got to point out all the weaknesses in a vision before they get on board. Right. Yes. And, and, and that's a very practical, (laughs) helpful thing, but I got to tell you, they suck me under. Yeah. They'll suck me under. They'll be in a meeting. They'll and I'll be, I'll come in all so excited about here's where we're going next. And they'll begin to poke holes in it. Now I get it. we got to have them, but that anxiety is, There's a little line there between being practical and just being anxious. All right. Yeah. And I appreciate the practicality, but I have seen the, when the anxiety, they, they show some anxiety and begin telling me, telling the team why this won't work. I almost want to whap them a time or two and say, (laughs) come on now. (laughs) So I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. I've seen it. 
It is a great example because I think people who uh, are also excited start to think there's something wrong with them. If the person next to them is pointing out all the flaws, then the optimist is like, well, maybe I'm an idiot because I didn't think of all these problems. Yeah, that's yeah. true. That's true. Okay. Um, this next question, one of my favorites, I think sometimes leaders get anxious simply because we have an input-output issue. Too much output, not enough input. You know, too mm. much work, not enough rest. So in the spirit of that, Max, uh, when do you feel most fully loved? Mm. Um, I, th I, think, I think I feel most fully loved when I have an evening with my wife and, um, and, and we're able to uh, enjoy, go out for dinner, or maybe go walk uh, through a shopping mall, uh, and just and just and just be together. That I find that to be very replenishing. I do. Uh, we sometimes we'll you know get away on a weekend trip, and I just I just delight in it so much so that if we walk into a place where I could be recognized, you know, somewhere in a restaurant in our in the vicinity of our church. I will almost resent anybody coming up and, and interrupting that time because yeah. I, I really like that time. But I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a, a wife with whom I just, I, sure, I just love hanging out with her. That's wonderful. Yeah. You know, in the Catholic Church, marriage is a sacrament, right? It's, it's a conduit of God's grace. That's what you're describing. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's beautiful. It uh, is. Final question. Uh, give us just one or two activities or geographical places that make you feel most fully alive? Mm. I, um, the, I, I've always been an exercise guy. I've, I've always uh, really enjoyed that. I've, I've done everything from uh, the half Ironman triathlons to long distance running. Right now I'm doing this thing called CrossFit. I go in every morning and, and you know, I, I, I don't know why I get so much joy out of that. Uh, I, I don't excel. I'm always the slowest or the weakest person in any endeavor, but I just love it. I love being with other people who are trying to do something that is non-mental related because everything else I do is mental related. And so I, I, I think just having that outlet. And, and if I don't do that, uh, if, if I find myself like on a two or three week trip, maybe a extended ministry trip, uh, I get I get anxious, I get irritable. There's the word irritable, uh, because there's something about what happens in a workout that, that really helps me. My wife has seen this. And so she is always saying you need to. When I'm getting kind of wound up, she said, you need to go run. You need to go do something, you know. Yeah. And so whatever happens in our mind, I've read all kinds of things about endorphins and all. Uh, but for me, it really works. It doesn't work for everybody, but boy, it really works for me. Yeah. Max, you have been, uh, not surprisingly, a delightful guest. Oh. Um, I know pretty much probably every listener we have knows who you are and is familiar with your work, but your book, Anxious for Nothing, is well worth a look. I think it Thanks. is a timely book. And um, just tell us briefly about your next one and when it's coming out. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
And so I write a book a year and they release every August or September. So in uh, September of 2019, uh, the next book is entitled How Happiness Happens, How Happiness Happens. And it has to do with this pursuit we all have of happiness. And I legitimize the pursuit. I say God wants us to be happy. And, and, and I give a plan for activating happiness within our hearts. And that is through the one another verses in the Bible. Hmm. I challenge us to take seriously the words of Christ. It really is better to give than receive. And I picked, uh, I selected 10 of the one another verses, encourage one another, teach one another, admonish one another, love one another. And I just said, let's take each one of these and see if you can't uh, put them into practice and, and you'll discover that you become the happiest when you're giving happiness away. Oh, wonderful. Well, thank you, Max, for your time. Okay, I really Steve, appreciate it. You do a great job, by the way. A great job. Thank you for the opportunity. This episode has been a production of Brendan Reed and Steve Cuss.